welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from our Expo 2020 panel series. In this episode, Randy Fornoff from My Three Sons talks about the importance of contracts and how to make sure that you are executing them to your best benefit. Well, thanks for being here. My name is Randy Fornoff. Um, so I'm local right out of Mesa, Arizona. I'm actually 40 minutes that way um, over in the East Valley more. Like I said, I've been here for 30 years, uh, 35 years. Um, been in business or been in the painting industry 32 years of that, I think, in here. Um, my MTS painting is actually, I'm, I'm gonna just share where I'm coming from so you know, understand where, my, where most of my experience is. Um, MTS actually stands for My Three Sons, family business. My dad had three sons. Uh, we worked together for many, many years. Now I'm the only owner right now. Uh, we do everything repaint. So we don't do new construction, basically. I work for owners and managers. Um, we do residential, commercial, industrial, and a lot of HOAs. And I never know what category to put HOAs in. So when I say HOA, homeowners associations, which is huge out here. Um, and so we paint condos and townhomes and, and things like that. But more than that, we paint a lot of uh, fences. So you, if you've driven around or if you've noticed around how our construction here, we have masonry and stucco fences for miles that go around these things. And some of it's view fencing, what we call view fencing. So masonry stucco wall, two foot, four foot of wrought iron, miles of it. So we paint, uh, paint a lot of that. Uh, some with electrostatic paint too. We do have electrostatic field rig that we use. Uh, again, everything repaint. Um, what else about us? Uh, 1.2 million for the last uh, three years uh, in there. Uh, we run, uh, run uh, three, four, five crews, depends how we put them together, mostly two-man crews. Um, and I guess that's, that's enough to know about it. My son uh, is the lead estimator, he's here. His name's Josh, if you see him, say hello to him. And then Matt, my operations manager, and then my whole crew's coming this afternoon for the trade show. And so feel free to interact with them and have fun with them. Um, all right, so what we're talking about is contracts. Really, I'm gonna do contracts 101. This isn't, I don't get in, I'm gonna, we're gonna get into some of the thick contracts and contracts that come from you know, builders and stuff like that. I have, I have pretty good knowledge on that. Um, it's not explicitly where I'm going with this. I'm starting, it's more contracts 101. Um, you know, for repaint more and for light industrial and commercial and stuff like that. Really, when we're writing the contract, that's where I'm coming from for the most part. Um, I do deal with contracts that come from the outside that I have to read all the fine print and then stuff. And so we'll go through that near the end more. Uh, so let's uh, jump into this. Words matter, right? So that's what we have in contract. In the contract, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get, there it is, um, we're trying to get our conversations that we had with this 
uh, purchaser, right, in our sales. We've got all these words and all this verbal stuff that we've talked about. Um, and we're trying to put that, and plus we have also, you know, the estimate and, the, you know, exactly all the numbers and, you know, is there tax included? All this stuff has to get into some sort of form so that we can come to an agreement, right? Uh, so that's what really what we're talking about. Words matter, and then how written words really matter, okay? Because that's what's going to be uh, judged better in, say, a court of law, if we have to go to there. Or in it's any kind of disagreement. We're going to look up the words that are written. Now, let's see. Oh, there we go. Verbal or written. Um, and so remember, a contract doesn't necessarily have to be written. You can have a verbal contract. There's just certain parts that have to be there uh, that you're both in agreement. And so, plus, you would have to get the agreement also, right? So you can have this whole verbal thing. Okay, we're communicating, we know what we want. Back and forth, you understand, I understand. Then you say, are you in agreement to it? Yes, okay. We know what day it is, we have a date. I think, isn't that the next slide? Oh yeah, so here's the requirements, the legal requirements of a contract. Um, there must be an acceptance in there. There must be consideration. There must be money. Um, there must be capacity. In other words, you have to be able to do what you're doing. So in other words, if you're not a legal contractor, Arizona has a licensing. We're a licensing state. So if you're not legal to do the um, work, then you're already breaking the contract. In a, in, and so that has to be part of it. You also have to be of age, I think is, it talks about, and sound mind. So if you can say you're insane for being a contractor, maybe you can get out of the contract. I don't know. Um, you must be intent on or expecting the agreement to be legally binding. So that's where you're, you know, you have that intent. Both parties have to have that intent. And then there's formalities and what have you. Uh, there has to be a legal purpose. And so the legal, you know, it's not valid for illegal activity. You can't have a contract that, that you, to do something illegal, right? Can't have a contract with somebody to rob a bank. Okay, you're gonna drive the car, I'm gonna go in there, you have to wear a mask. You can't have a written contract for something that's illegal, right? Um, and so these are the things that you have to, you should, or you have to have in the contract. Basically, you're just gonna need a description, right? We need the, um, the amount that we're talking about, we need it dated. Um, also, and this is where I have trouble with, and I'm gonna show you my contracts and stuff in here in a bit, is a completion date. You're supposed to have a um, completion date or a time frame when the job will be done. So you can have a contract dated such and such, but how long is it good for? You know, how long will the contract last? And so that's an important portion also. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, and it's uh, kind of my disclaimer, I am not a lawyer, okay? So if you have you know, detailed questions, I'm gonna give you my opinion on it. I'm gonna share what I know, and you know, we can even open it up in between here when we get to the end, um, and we can throw things back and forth. So I'm not a lawyer, I only got two years of college under my belt. I did get an associate's degree in construction technology. Uh, in fact, I still remember the legal class that I took on contracts. In fact, some of this data, I actually found my old paperwork. I keep everything. I actually found that from what, 40 years ago? How old was I? Yeah, 40 years ago. Um, and so uh, just keep that in mind. You know, if you're getting into a real detailed situation or you got one of those thick contracts, you do want a lawyer, get a lawyer involved. For a couple reasons. One, it could be different from state to state, right? 
different state laws that are involved with contracts. Um, and, and so you'll do, want to do that. And then when you get down into that nitty gritty stuff, that's where an attorney can really help you with that. All right, so let's keep moving. So a lot of this stuff, you know, the attorney's gonna know that. They're gonna know what exactly has to be in there. But we're gonna talk about it more in general terms. This is how I came through my contract, um, how I started and my contract evolved uh, back when I first started in business. This, I don't know if some of the old timers are gonna remember this. We used to go to office supply stores and they had a rack with forms that you could use and tear off the form. You guys remember that, right? And that's basically what this was. And it's really, wait until you see the next page, it's really the same thing I adapted over. I just adapted that language into a word processor document. Um, and so now this is what really what my contracts look like. Wow, I wonder why that page isn't showing there. Not getting the whole edge. Huh. Let's this get, get hit. Nope. But um, and so these, you know, how did this document form and how did I build this? Um, let me share a couple of stories with it. Early on in my contracting, uh, it was an, actually an HOA community and we were painting 154 townhomes. Um, and the, not, I don't know if he was a president, I think he was the treasurer of the board. He was the one I was communicating mostly with, especially at the contract time. Well, he ended up being a contract not negotiator, writer, something to do with contracts at Intel. That was his job. This guy wrote contracts, huge contracts for millions and billions of dollars of equipment and things like that. Well, Mr. Roy Bentley, we went through, I think we went through 10 or 12 iterations of my contract that went back and forth. Now it was 154 units, you know, I think it was close to $200,000 job, uh, it spanned um, spanned um, multiple years, or I think it was two or three years to paint the whole property. They wanted it done in a slow fashion, just um, as their budget uh, required or could uh, afford. And so we did these iterations back and forth. Well, at about fourth, fifth iteration, I'm starting to get pretty bummed with this guy. What's this guy doing? This guy's being a pain in the butt with the contract. And then it dawned on me though, this guy was teaching me how to write a contract. And so I started asking questions back. And he, we went for hours actually in conversations and he helped me build my contract and, and, and different facets of it and why he worded it this way. And I was bringing up other examples from other contracts. And I would say, Roy, what should I do on this one? And it ended up being a great relationship. We built that relationship, we actually, we, we were in for 20 years doing work together on all kinds of different things. It ended up being just a wonderful aspect. Um, one other thing on this um, I want to mention is my contracts, I keep them as small as possible, all right? So let me talk about that a little bit. The thing with repaint and when we write the contract as contractors, it's also a sales document, isn't it? This is our communication thing that's going out to the customer. For some of us, it might be our first written communication with them, right? We go out and visit the job, we get all the details, we do the job walk, we bring it back to the office, or maybe you do it in your truck and you write it up and maybe you email it right from your truck, that's possible. We still bring it back to the office, do our estimate, and within a day we've got that homeowner in their email is this proposal and contract. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, but it's our first, could be our first written communication. 
And so it's a marketing piece. That email that goes along with the contract is definitely a marketing piece. Uh, some of the contract is also how I word things in that contract matters. For one thing, I want to word it so it looks like I'm an expert, right? I want to be the expert in the field. I want it to make sense. I want it to be specific, right? I want it to be cover everything that they were concerned about. That's what my job walks about, right? What are your concerns, Mr. and Mrs. Jones? Or why do you want that, you know, why are we painting? Yeah, that type thing. So we want to address those. We also want it simple enough that they can read it. So they don't, you know, if they're looking at two or three contracts and one 16 pages and complicated, I don't want to do that much work, you know, as a homeowner, you know? And then there's a contract that's one page or maybe two page. Now, I'm talking about the contract only. I'm not talking about the other sales pieces that can go along with the contract, maybe references, reference pages. Uh, what else could you have in there? You know, all kinds of things. You know, uh, you could have your insurance certificates in there. You could have all kinds of stuff. You know, that's even more of a sales packet that goes out. But the contract itself can be, right? That is also what they're, it's appealing to the marketing, right? Or it's, it's backing up your marketing. Question? I do it all in one. As you can see it right up on, t oh, this one's, oh, you, it's hard to see it up there. Proposal and contract. This one was for a uh, commercial entity, JLL in fact, that's Jones Lang LaSalle. Um, and so that one I convert it back and just say proposal because I know I have a contract behind that for them. But most of the time, or all, really most of the time, it's going to be proposal and contract. You can just barely see it up on the top edge. And so it's, it converts. Right, it's a convertible document really is what it is. Good question. And feel free to ask questions in the middle if I'm confusing on something or you got a question right in that area, uh, please dive in. So what was I talking about there? We were talking about just how big it is and things like that. I try to do everything in contracts also. I do very little time and material, right? Time and material's tricky or I don't really write up. If I'm doing time and material, how do I write up the proposal? I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I don't have a set price. All I got really is a date, right? Now I can have a price in there, you know, 60 bucks an hour or, you know, 30 bucks a door. Tell us how many doors we're painting. $30, did I say $30? Yeah, that's cheap. I'm, I'm trying to feed. Yeah, right, I'm, I'm, trying, to I'm trying to throw my competition. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, some of that can be written up and put in a document. Um, I don't know if I should talk about it here. The other document, or the other thing that goes along with this is I do bid stuff from the phone, right? Or from, while we're talking on the phone, I get their address, I look it up on Google. It's a simple job, sight unseen job, I call it, right? So I have a clause in there that says, sight unseen, if anything changes, I'm trying to remember the wording, if anything is different than typical in our conversation, then you know, there could be additional price, price increase, that type thing. Um, and so just thinking about what's in that contract, you know, I do have verbal contracts. We, have, we do in-house painting. We had a door shop right next door to our shop. It's awesome. People come in and buy doors, and then they say, well, I wish somebody could pre-finish these doors. Okay, just go down and talk to MTS. They walk down to us, we give them a quick price, take down a little information, I don't have a contract. You know, but they come to agreement, we do come to an agreement. A lot of it's really simple, except for this one that came in about two months ago. He actually brought in the receipt, 
of the doors. Walnut doors. Cool, all right. How many of them? 28 walnut doors. Pre-hung walnut doors. So the jams are walnut also. Got down to the bottom? 42 grand. $42,000 of doors for a residential home. So what's this going into? I didn't ask him, that was the owner. When the uh, installer came by to pick them up, we don't deliver, they just deliver them to us, we finish them and then the installer has to come or somebody else has got to pick them up and deliver them. And so I said, what kind of house is it going? Oh, he says, it's a cool house. <laughs> and so it's just amazing, 42 grand just for the materials. Our cost was eight grand for finishing. Then he's got to install them all. It was really cool. I, I wish I could go out and see the house. I might even set that up. Um, and so on the in-house jobs, we call it in-house because shop gets, that term gets messed up because we have other shop categories. Uh, and so we call it in-house uh, coatings. Um, so those are a lot of handshake agreements. Of course, I got the customer in front of me. I've already talked the price. Everything's in agreement right there, boom. Um, and so I don't necessarily have a contract for those. But for the most part, I do contracts for everything. Small, large, for the most part. Uh, try to stay real firm on that. Just so no misunderstandings happening, right? Um, all right, enough on that. All right, how do I uh, actually do this? This is a little bit just on admin side or how do I organize these? We have a bunch of templates. Those are all different templates that we choose from for our different, so we start with a template when we're creating these con uh, contracts. Um, so we just keep it simple. You're seeing really the whole list. You know, we got, you know, even GC down at the bottom here, interior, multi. There's even RRP ones in there. Uh, what else we got? Uh, oh, I can actually do this. Is that showing up? No. Nope. It's a way to do it with the mouse. Uh, so just give you an idea. I don't um, type them up from scratch all the time. I do start with a template. To fill in those templates, remember all the bullets that are here? The bullets one through six over there, you can't see the bullets, but those are all the bullets in there. Those things change with every job or for the most part. So we cut and paste all the time. That's what this is. What is it, 12 pages, I think? Maybe 15? Of all kinds of clauses is what we call it. The document's actually called paragraphs. It's a bad term, but clauses that we plug and play. In other words, why reinvent these clauses every time? You know, there's similar clauses, there's similar warranty clauses, there's similar pay clauses, there's similar, you know, uh, application and how we're doing the job, that type thing. There's similar options, um, so we just plug and play on those. So we'll show you some more of those. We're going to break it down um, simply in each uh, portion of the contract, really. Here's the header part of the contract. Um, you know, it's got our name, our number, of course, up there in Arizona. Because of our licensing law, we have to have our license number on the contract. We have to have it on every marketing piece. We have to have it on our truck. That's required by, our, by the ROC. And I'm sorry, ROC is Register of Contractors, Arizona Register of Contractors. Um, if you went to the opening session, that was the gentleman that spoke there real quickly for uh, five minutes, um, uh, Jeff Fleetham. And so we have to have that on there. Then we come down, what is it, of course, and then we have to have the name and address of the client. Uh, that part can get a little confusing. Who's actually paying the bills sometimes, right? Especially when you're getting into uh, commercial, uh, light commercial or uh, facilities work and stuff. All right, are you the management company? JLL was a famous, uh, JLL, Jones Lang LaSalle, 
They're worldwide management company. They do high rises, they do big time stuff, uh, college campuses and things like that. They handle all the, the facilities uh, and, uh, and things like that. And so sometimes you're in these places, like I was in B of A, um, B of A credit card uh, processing center. JLL, they, they represented the ownership of the whole property. They also managed the, for B of A, they managed everything inside the place, but the outside was another management portion of JLL. I had no idea who I was working for. You know, and I'd have to ask those questions. Who's paying the bill? What little letters are after their name or after the company name? And so you gotta get that company name. Obviously this is, well this one is. This one's interesting right there. It's the Alexander residence, but Mike Colburn is involved with it. Colburn. Um, I'm, I don't know, I don't know if I can follow through. And, oh, and then I make sure I have the address of the property down in that section. Um, and so make sure you have, whoever's paying the bills should be on that address as your legal document, right? And so sometimes you gotta do something, you know, you gotta dive into that to find out who's actually paying for it. You know, oh, I'm, I'm the mom, I'm, my daughter's too busy, so this is her home. Okay, what's her name? I need to get her name on here. She's the one liable here. If this thing makes it all the way to collections, I need that information. It's best to have that now, right? Um, and so what else is in here? What are we gonna do? Uh, we're gonna furnish all materials and perform all labor. Actually, I've changed that sentence since then. Uh, it actually says to perform, or propose to furnish all materials uh, and equipment and perform all labor necessary. I added the word equipment in there just to be more thorough on that. I had somebody come back on me and said, well, who's supplying the scaffolding? You don't say anything about that. Oh, okay, we got all the equipment. Um, and so uh, it, that's just a change that I haven't updated, or I, is now updated. And of course, this is my, just my um, um, description right off the bat, especially if you have a contract going, you know, how many people you go out for a residential, okay, we're gonna do this on the interior, and then we want the exterior painted, right? So I'm gonna have two separate proposals most of the time for that. I could have just option if it's a small interior, but I'll, have, I'll break it up into two. And so that's why I wanna have interior painting at this address and what have you. Um, so that I try to put a mini description right there. It's also good for my um, billing department, right, for my admin. They need to know what the job is, right? They don't want to go back and look at my chicken scratch sheet and try to figure out what we're painting or not painting on there, or, you know, is it interior or exterior? So I try to describe it there. And so it'd be, it's also good for the homeowner. Um, so we want the responsible party. We want both responsible parties. That's what happens in this portion of the contract. All right, now we get into the nitty-gritty more. This is what changes all the time. Um, this is what has to be specific to what we're exactly doing. This one happens to be a multiple bid, multi-bid, or it's got an option to it, and so it's broken down a little differently. Um, and then I, you gotta be careful how you word that add option. So there's those bullets that I was talking about that I just copy and paste from other pages for the most part and rewrite them. Obviously, there's always idiosyncrasies to rewrite in there, right? Um, and, and to get it correct. Most of the time I'm describing my materials in there, exactly what we're using. If I know the color, I'll put it in there also. Um, but line six is important, right? Apply one new color. Or a lot of times it says apply same color. What's the definition of same? <laughs> or it, sometimes I write similar color, 
right? So if we're talking about color, color matters, right? The price, right? Does color matter? Yeah. yeah. One of the hardest things to nail down sometimes too. So how do we treat that in a contract when they haven't given you the final colors, right? The job could be months away. There's no colors yet. You know, but we've talked about it in our sales, right? Oh, what color are you going? I kind of need to know the direction. You know, that's how I term it anyways. Or, you know, or if they got it nailed down, you know, if they're HOA's colors, they know the colors a lot of times. Uh, they're dictated by the HOA on an exterior around here. They have limited colors to choose. They've already chosen them by the time they call me because they have to do a submittal and things like that. But interior colors, oh, but we might add an accent color. Okay, is it gonna be a deep accent color? Or is it just gonna be a subtle difference color? Deep accent matters, saturated colors matter, don't they? Of course, the manufacturers say you can cover in two coats no matter what, right? Is there any manufacturers in here, right? But we know those deep colors and those deep reds or those deep yellows, it's gonna be three coats, right? And so we need to know the color and I describe it in there. I wanna limit where they can go with it. Um, you know, before that, I should probably back up, carefully protect. You know, I write that carefully is really a sales, right? That's a sales term right there, carefully protect, right? I'm not just protecting the surfaces, I'm carefully doing it. So again, this is where that sales mixes in. Wow, yeah, you can see that much better now. Um, you know, protect unpainted, sir. Who's moving the furniture? You know, we've had jobs where they say, oh, we're going out of town, it's all yours. You, okay, who's handling the furniture? Are you guys gonna move it all, or are you gonna take all the wall hangings down and all the trinkets? Question? Good point. Ooh, do you? Awesome. Everybody catch that? And so who did you meet with? If you're doing a site inspection, which could include homeowner, right? You met with the homeowner, who'd you meet? With Mrs. Jones or did you meet with Mr. Jones? We all know there can be a huge difference when it comes to the end of the job. Depends which one's there to inspect it, right? But that's a good point. Hey, it's per our discussion on such and such date, um, that type thing. Awesome. I have, I have jobs that they change you know, oh, seven times from the initial job walk till the time we do the contract mm. and actually do the work. And I just, every time for change, for change, for walk, or Excellent. Whatever, phone call with Mrs. Smith, Excellent. Yeah, think of a big, complex interior job or something like that. Definitely, I love that. I love that. That's a great idea. And you'll see it when I come up into uh, commercial and uh, residential. You know, it'll say per plans and specs dated or revision dated. You know, thirteenth uh, of December, right? Because I want to know what I'm bidding to. Right, because like you said, changes happen, all of a sudden they don't send you the revisions. What, what was my bid based on it? Or like you're saying also, I could have how many iterations of bids, right? My proposals, you know, and I just put, when I file them, it's proposal one, proposal two, I've been up to seven, like you said. Hold it, which one are we going with here? We gotta make sure we have it designated so we know which one we're talking about with the customer. Again, we're trying to get to that agreement, right? What are we talking about? We've got to meet minds here. And then we're trying to meet minds in writing. 
And so we might need minds verbally, and we think we have anyways, the writing confirms it. And so we always do that, right? We always confirm conversations. And that's what I tell my foremans in the middle of the job too. You gotta tell me that. At the end of the day, I'm gonna, as a project manager, I'm gonna write them and say, hey, I heard you agree to this with the foreman. Now, you know, a lot of us are gonna have change orders. Um, hopefully you ha have change order forms and stuff like that. For residential, uh, we're not there yet with the change orders, with the written change orders. And so I confirm things at the end of the day, which really treats it like a change order uh, and confirm what's going on with the customer. In fact, that's where we probably fail the most as a, as a company is not documenting that well enough yet. And so that's, that's thank you very much. Um, and so, you know, who's is it to be completed while furnished and occupied? Really that, uh, that um, statement goes the other way. If we're painting an empty house, right? They just bought it and we're painting the empty or it is a brand new house. We do a lot of uh, brand new conversions of new build homes where, and I bid those right from my desk all the time. Hey, send me the builder, send me the model, and I estimate it right off the floor plan online. I know what it is, it's not even built yet, and I can bid it right from there. Um, and so what I do on that contract though is I make sure that, say that we're gonna be painting this while it's empty, while it's unfurnished and unoccupied, because that makes a big difference in repaint interiors, right? If I can spray and mask, I'm gonna set up that way. And so if it's occupied and furnished, I might not spray. And brush and roll costs a lot more in application time. Now we can argue about that, does the masking and stuff I know. Um, and so, but it does make a difference if it's furnished or not, or who's moving the furniture and the trinkets, right? And so like I was saying before, I've had customers said, nope, you move it all. We're going out of town, paint it. We just want it put back together. And so I need to know that because I need to go in and document each room. Where was everything? Because my guys can't remember, right? I don't know what was in which room and where it was hung. And so that makes a difference. It costs more to do that. Um, you know, are we doing repairs? What repairs are we doing? Uh, and that's pretty much standard uh, spackle miner on uh, unused fasteners and fang hanger holes. There's nothing about caulking in this one. Uh, normally I have some, uh, there's a clause in there. It says caulk were, uh, uh, recock where needed type thing. Uh, it's actually, it's, it, it says it much better for the sales portion. Um, and then priming involved there. there is there priming? Uh, you guys maybe noticed that I put recycled paint in there. Uh, this is exterior or interior? This is interior. This is old. I don't usually put that on interiors anymore, but if it's a repaint for change color, we use recycle. We try to get rid of that extra paint. We strain it. Um, we sometimes will add additives to it, uh, but we try to get rid of our um, uh, extra paint as recycled uh, primer. Uh, definitely do that for exteriors. Uh, we do anyways, and I write it right in the contract. Um, and if they have, nobody's ever really balked with it. I've had very few people over, I've been doing that for probably 15 years. I've maybe had one or two people in 15 years ask about that, what is that? And so I explain it and they're usually cool with it. Um, you know, and so we go down the line, I think we talked about it. Uh, you know, I put the finish in there, so eggshell is there. Uh, sometimes if I'm not sure what sheen they want, I'll just put a question mark in brackets after it, and in parentheses after it, just to put them on notice, hey, you still gotta uh, decide which sheen. If the sheen's gonna matter, I'll put it as an option. Sometimes sheen does matter uh, to pricing, so I'll put it as an option. Normally it's not that, I'll just bid it for the higher part and you know, include it if it's flat, yay and we make a little bit more. Material doesn't matter that much to pricing. 
and then um, sometimes I don't describe it, like number seven, I'll leave it open. Uh, actually, we've kind of changed our way on that. I used to just describe what kind of product we're putting on there, high quality waterborne, uh, semi-gloss enamel. That could be, you know, uh, Dunn Edwards, that could be ben Benjamin Moore product, you know, um, and did it say enamel up there? Yeah, and I use the word enamel there. So in my sales process, I've already talked to them about what enamel is. Hard, shiny finish, doesn't mean oil-based, in case you didn't know that. So I explained that. Um, so the doors are gonna be a different product. It's not just gonna be a soft, semi-gloss latex that we put in the bathroom. That's not the same product we're putting on the doors. And so normally, uh, now we're really spelling out the product that we're using. Um, really, some, sometimes that works better for the sales pitch, right? Some people love Sherwin-Williams. Some people love Dunn Edwards. A lot of you don't even know what Dunn Edwards, Dun Edwards, Edwards is a very famous uh, West Coast supplier. Um, got a great name out there. And so sometimes we use that. That's more of a sales pitch at that point. I'm trying to lock them in on that. Um, the other place the um, material comes into play, Sherwin-Williams Pro um, or 200 or Sherwin-Williams Super Paint Lifetime Warranty, or Label Warranty, I'm sorry. Lifetime Label Warranty. Now that's not my warranty. I'm not life, oh, I'm not um, doing, I'm not warrantying for a lifetime. I explain that later, you'll see it come up. But it's a bit of a sales pitch right there, right? What kind of quality of paint? It kind of gives them an idea of what it is. Can impress them that way. Um, where are we at? We'll get into exclusions coming up here. Um, and then see how the ad option is on there. Now you gotta determine, is it just bid number two as a separate bid or is it an ad option? What the difference there is, for me anyways, is ad option means I can't do this alone. I can't come back and do just bid number two. Bid number two has to go along with bid number one. Does that make sense? So you gotta kinda delineate that in your language somehow, depending on how you uh, write your contract. And so what happens if you get a whole bunch of options down the line and they pick you apart on those, right? We all know there's production and quantity. And so you gotta write your contract so that they can't beat you up on that. Oh, we just want number one and number three. Oh, I didn't have the production in there for that. I've even done discounts when they do it all, okay? So I raise the price uh, to, in case they don't do all the options and my production's gonna be worse. And so I don't know if I have that clause in there as a sample. Um, uh, so I work on that just to make sure it's fair that way. Right? Because they haven't, obviously they haven't decided if they're doing bid number two yet. But it's bid time and it's proposal time. I gotta get this out to them. Question? Excellent. No, we'll come up on that section. And might be in the next section, in fact. Right, so I'm, the first part, and the bullets here, is more of a sales pitch. I don't warranty it for a lifetime, and then you'll see why. Agreed, agreed. And so I would always, and I would explain this to them too. Hey, I'm just gonna put this date on here. This is our drop dead date, you know, and make it two, add two weeks. 
you know what I mean? It, the contract just requires that dating in it, so just make it, you know, a month. They just don't want, you know, it just can't go for two years, right? You know, we've heard of the nightmares. In fact, I've had uh, homeowners talk about that nightmare where it's, you know, oh, God, he was a one-man show and he was here for two months, all right? They need to know that. Now, I talk about that in my sales, but I'm also required by law, so, you know, per contract to have that dating in there. We're not good at it, like I already admitted. So I like, I wouldn't go rigid date unless you had to. So industrial, commercial, or time-sensitive contracts, you might have to. And we'll talk about it in a little bit. You might even have a, a penalty clause in that contract, in those thick contracts. You don't get done by the date. Hey, that's costing us money as a, as a business owner. You have consequences to not getting it done in time. That's, that's a different story. Now we got a really detailed one. We need to be sure we can do it for one thing. As long as it's within our control. Does that make sense? Yeah. Weather delays? Sorry, dude, I can't paint your house. You know, or I can't paint your building, it's raining. Simple as that, so you have to have that. There's clauses for that. Um, I don't know if we get into those or not. I'll, let's watch for that. Uh, your bigger contracts will have that. It's something to watch for. That penalty can kill you. That can kill a business. And then if it's not worded right, it can kill your business and it was out of your control. That's what you want to have in the contract to make sure you solve that issue. Why, you know, why was it not in my control and I shouldn't be responsible for that? You want to read that writing. That's important fine print. Um, oh, this is the wallpaper. I didn't even look at which option it was. You guys are probably reading that one. Do you like that uh, wallpaper? Wallpaper clause? How's that one? <laughs> right? You do, right? You got to have it. You, if you can bid wallpaper removal and be solid on it, let me know how you do it. I'm curious. It always goes haywire. So basically, we give them a base price and then anything after, right? You do? What do you do with bad seams, though, or bubbles? Right afterwards. And just bid it that way. Yeah. Oh, I had that grass cloth that one time though. It was brutal, and then it bubbled like unbelievable. We were cut out a million of them. Right, and pop it. Thank you. Uh, per man hour. That's a good point. I should have man hour in there. Very good point. Everybody catch that? Where it says $50 per hour, that should say $50 per man hour, right? Because that's a big difference, right? And some people think that way. Oh, they were only here for an hour. Yeah, but I had four guys there. <laughs> you know, that's four hours. And some, some people just don't understand that. Good question. Excellent. Hey, I'm going to go change this stuff when I get done here. No. You guys are helping me. Awesome. All right, let's keep moving. All right, here's some other just special um, uh, bullets that I put in there. Uh, oh, no, this is the exclusions. Exclusions are extremely important. Whether you're commercial or you're doing the thick contracts or you're putting a proposal in there, you better have exclusions in there. There's always exclude. I think there's always exclusions. I can't think of a time when there's no exclusions. Uh, these are some of the typical ones that I put in there. It depends on different jobs. Um, you know, any repairs, you know, everybody thinks you're going to repair it first. 
Sometimes that's a tricky statement. What's a repair? You know, is spackling a repair? Right? No, no, no. That's why I mentioned it up in the top bullets. We are going to spackle and recaulk. Um, you know, but what's a repair? You know, is you know caulking that uh, fascia that's cracked? Is that a repair or is that part of the job? So you, I put it up there. I don't consider that a repair. Um, you know, filling the joints in a, in a wood fascia. Um, you know, that's not repair, that's part of the caulking, that's part of the standard painting um, standards as far as I'm concerned. But you've got to delineate that, and that's where contracts can get real long. Don't get me wrong, I love a short contract. I want it for my sales per, um, presentation. I want it short, I want it simple for them to figure out. And I know, and I understand why some, you have to have a long ones and you've been burned on things and you want to include everything in there. I kind of punt a little bit, let me speak to that. I'm not going to make a new clause for every single thing that happens in our company. If it happens a couple of times or a few times or I'm starting to see a pattern, then I'll put an exclusion in there. Then I'll rewrite the contract to meet that. Life happens out in contracting. Um, construction is not a perfect science and so there's going to be variation. There is miscellaneous time that I add into each job, right? It's part of estimating. Um, and so just keep that in mind. Um, I don't know. These are pretty cut and dry, metal gates, you know, just all the different substrates that we're not painting. I try to list them out there. What you'll see a lot of times in my contract, what you'll see is that bid number one will have a big list of exclusions, and then if I have uh, add options or options down below, then boom, those are being covered. Does that make sense? And so that's, you know, I, I, I make that clear and it's obvious. Um, I don't know what else is special in there. Any repairs, touch-up painting caused by other trade. How about that number nine on the bottom, right? For, you know, new work, who's paying for that touch-up at the end of the job? Now, I don't know if I get into it in anywhere else here, but let's talk about that. Up in my bullets, I might have, you get eight man hours of touch-up at the end of the job. We will come back to the site after it, and we'll give you eight man hours or four man hours, whatever you decide, and negotiate. Right. Then there's trade damage, which is yep. you know another thing. Not it's not touch up, and we're really training our guys that these are different things. Excellent. And that latent damage, meaning that the drywall guy does a bad job. They tell us to prime it. We prime it. They see the bad wall, and then he wants to prime it. We say that's that was latent damage. Pay it. Yep. And then change order. When another trade damages the the job, we don't say that's touch up. That's trade damage. And we're only doing touch-ups, meaning our responsibility for Excellent. Not, uh, not enough coverage. Excellent. So we're really training our foreman about this because they need to know the standards for the PCA and really focus on that because that's what our contracts are based on. What's your name? Alan. Alan if I just may speak. Hold on, John. Um, Alan brings up a great point, and, and one of the points is we can write all we want in this contract, this, even if it's super thick and everything else, still a business decision, how much touch-up am I going to do to save the job, to get paid, right? That's separate from this. You've got to make business decisions. In other words, how rigid are you going to stay to your contract? Still write your contract very detailed, okay? But you still have a business decision at the end of the job. You know, how much touch-up am I going to do that's not ours? Uh, you know, and I always ask my guy, 
You know, he's calling me, oh, they screwed up this on the job, now we gotta touch up this. And well, I go, how long is it gonna take you? Oh, it's only gonna take 20 minutes. Oh, just do it. Will you throw it in? You know, come on, save the job. <laughs> do it. Do that for goodwill. <laughs> right, exactly. But, uh, Right. Or I have a, a, a 400 room hotel and get an hour of room there. Yep. 400 hours. Like no way. Hotel. No way. We can talk about horror stories on that, right? Yeah, exactly. John? So, what I was just talking about, Al? Yeah. yeah. Is uh, the, the little sign that PDCA would use to get those that say, this room is your Oh. Right. Excellent, John. I love it. Everybody catch that? Did you hear that okay? Is there any other comments? What? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, pull the logo off the internet, make up your own sign, print them out, have them for your crew. You know, right next to your wet paint signs, where the crew, wherever the crew stores those, have some of uh, This room is completed, right? Yeah, I love it. And we have to make sure our crews know that's, that's Yes. Yes. Now we have to clarify that because otherwise you could be here forever and I do a lot of commercial jobs and they're new construction and I have to verify that with everyone up front. John Conrad, our foreman knows, the painters know. Yep. And, and when we're in. Exactly. Let me speak to that a little bit. And so I just jumped ahead here. Um, and here's the a paragraph, I'm gonna, we're gonna do warranty, we'll go back to warranty, then at the next section of my uh, contract has this, all the above work completed to standards, right? What are we judging this contract against? Exactly, right? You know, it's, oh, I don't like the way it looks. Okay, why is your way the right way? Oh, why don't you just have your form and do it the best? Who's best? My foreman's best, your best, my best, right? We have to delineate that, we have to have that. Notice the second sentence, I even have it underlined. It's underlined and it's not showing up in color there, but that's a link, right? That's a hot link to the PDCA standards, right? Every one of my contracts has that. Now, if I have a special situation that calls for, I really wanna expand on it on the standards. In other words, there's 24, 26 standards. 24, 26 standards out there, they're pretty thick. They're hard to read. Nobody's gonna go read them. So if I have a specific standard that I'm concerned about for this job, maybe touch-up standard, right? P1, no, P1 I think. Or another big one for repaint is um, maintenance repaint. P14 is huge. It's because it describes wh how, what you're gonna do to what level are you going to do the prep and to what finish are you going to finish it. In other words, is it take re restoration, or is this just normal prep and paint just so it adheres, or do they want it, you know, have you had the, you've had it before, oh, make it look new. Oh, what does make it new look new mean? 
Well, why don't you replace it if you want it to look new? Is it, you know? Right. Yep. Each contract? Awesome. Awesome. Exactly, because it affects price. Exactly. Everybody catch that? Standards are important. They're a two-way street. It is not a one-way street. Okay? And Alan's been talking about it each time. I train my crew. We train our crews to the standards so that they know what the standard is. So that they can fulfill the contract. It's a two-way street. It's not one-sided. And I've had the GCs do that to me. Oh, those are useless. No, it's for our guys. Our guys are going to bring it to the standard too so that your job comes out well and you don't have to come back on us. You know, and they look at me like I got 13 heads. It's ridiculous. And then they go, oh, I ain't following that. I'm, I'm going to cross that out of your contract. You're stupid, dude. Excuse me. <laughs> I got to get back to him. But. Some of the specs um, I did, I did some jobs on uh, prevailing wage jobs, oh, yeah. city jobs, school jobs, and they have per PCA standards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How can we get more of that, right? I'm going to talk about it more. I got to keep moving, sir. Excellent. Sales pitch. That's sales. Right. Yeah, can't you hold that parapet together with caulk? No, I can't. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. All right, so what else do we got? Oh, let's go. Well, let, yeah, let me go backwards here. How much time do you have left? Can somebody tell me on that? Um, so here's that warranty page. Here's how I write my warranty. Again, I keep it real small. Um, and but I also link my contracts. I also link. What's that? How much time? About twenty minutes. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't know if I have it in here. Where's the warrant? No, it would be in the next page, anyways. Oh, now we'll hit that again. Um, so I will hot link my warranty clause. Oh, that's what I just the warranty notes, or it says. Labor and material warranty, that's a hot link now, and it sends them to my webpage. There I have a, if you printed it out, it's like three pages, two and a half pages long. Exactly what the warranty means, all right? What am I talking about in a warranty? And is it labor and material? What I'm trying to do, see with that labor and material warranty, I'm trying to dif differentiate myself from my competition. A lot of my competition does material warranty. What's that? That means if the manufacturer will warranty it, they'll give me a gallon of paint and somebody's got to go put it on. That's what a material warranty is. That doesn't mean labor's covered. Now, 
you know, I've had pain, you know, I have had warranties where the manufacturer had a bad product and they did pay for the whole job to be done, labor and materials. All right, I've had a couple of those over the years. But it was a, it was a product problem though, and they knew it. And so that, they will cover it, but they won't write it. They won't write you a warranty that way, right? I do write a warranty. My warranty is for two years, labor and material. Boy, that was small. I do actually do seven year right now. In Arizona, I can write a seven year warranty with super paint. And so, John? I love digital stuff. <laughs> and going back up into your levels of prep, you say, okay, well, we, uh, they have a putty glaze with them. Maybe not many out here in Arizona, but we differentiate ourselves by saying, okay, our putty glaze with us, we use liquid masking. It seals the glass junction. And it, it explains cool. everything in that link. I make a video, and it explains, here's all the steps we're doing in prepping and readying your window for painting that will make it last so much longer than anything else. And then back rolling, you do a lot of stucco, so you say, okay, we're in this particular job, I'm going to back roll. What the heck is back roll? Well, yep. Here's a link. You awesome. Right in your contract. Explaining and showing, shadowing yep. and cratering yep. and all that kind of cool. stuff. Cool. Hey, like, dang, these guys really know what they're doing. Exactly. So the hot links, yeah, they're a great sales tool. And then I wonder, John, I'd be curious, just thinking about that, you know, when I got a whole bunch of hot links in there, all these different things, if you did end up in court and you know and it was a battle you know and if you end up in court it's something stupid that's causing the thing to rise up to this huge thing that's ridiculous usually but if you're I wonder if the judge would accept all those hot links I don't know the answer to that okay you know was the homeowner responsible to go look at your video that explained what you know uh, um, dry rot patching is I know John does a lot of resin patching and stuff like that or you know and, and what have you and explain it and explain the warranty involved with that. Hey, if it continues to rot, it ain't my fault. You got to take care of the water leak. Right. So a hot link is not necessarily an exhibit. So just keep that in mind, and I would check with your lawyer on or attorney on that. Um, but I'm, I, but we're also using this as a sales tool tool. So I love what John's doing there as a sales tool. I don't know about the legalities if it did raise up to that limit. In other words, if you're doing a job for a lawyer, <laughs> they might take advantage of you on that, possibly. I think you're right, you'd have to make it an exhibit to make it legal. Um, and so, again, exclusions, what's excluded from the warranty? Now, there's a lot more exclusions in my hot link or on my website on what the warranty is, but I get to the basics here, right? Moisture intrusion, there's, we have sprinklers hitting walls. Every day in Arizona, the sprinklers go on and they hit the wall. I can't warranty that, you know, no manufacturer is going to warranty. No manufacturer warranties for fade if you don't know that. In Arizona, that's huge to you, or to, huge to us, I'm sorry. That's huge to us here. And if you notice mine, I think it should say extreme fading, right? Only extreme fading is covered, not fading. Um, and so that, you know, we cover these warranties and put it in there. Be careful with that. You want to exclude what you're not warranting to. So you got to have that in there also. Let's keep moving. We're running low on time. That's warranty. Um, we already kind of covered this. I uh, just wanted to point out one more thing, those standards. I have three different kinds of standards up there. I got the PDCA standards, as we talked about, but I got the manufacturer's instructions too, right? You know, one of those is we get a lot of people, well, you put the paint on when it's, uh, when it's too hot. What's too hot? And I, we got to deal with this all the time in Arizona. My guys work through the summer. 
We don't send them home for the summer. I can't send my guys home for the summer. And so we do paint in the heat. You know, once it gets up to 118, that we are doing shorter days. You know, the 120 days, we're doing shorter days. We're also starting at 6 a.m., you know, 6 to 2, straight 8. So before it gets to the peak temperature, we're already slowing down our coatings application. Um, but, you know, I want to have that, according to the manufacturer instructions, I can still apply this. If you read the instructions, it does not say that you cannot apply. It says, be careful at over what? Don Edwards is over 90 degrees, be careful. Or, yeah, somebody's uh, got some paint now. I think he just put up to 115 or something. Oh, yeah, there was a new product. In fact, I think Sherwin, I think we'll learn about it there. I think Sherwin has a special product that they just came out with. Um, and so the other one we have is the Arizona Register of Contractors Standards. If I screw up a job, they can call the Register of Contractors. They have an inspector that comes out that follows standards. Now, the registration, the ROC uh, standards are very limited. They're more set up for new construction. But then they follow the manufacturer's instructions first. Then they go to industry standards. Uh, of course, my contract overrides those standards. If I have something in my contract, in the bullets, that's specific to the job, I override the other standards. In other words, if somebody makes me paint a peeling door and say, don't prep it, we're replacing that door next month, but please just paint through it, okay? I better put that in my bullets in my contract, right? I am not warranting that door, right? Otherwise, they can go back on me. They can go, hey, it doesn't fit. They can call the ROC. In fact, the ROCs are really, they're turkeys about it. They'll say, you shouldn't have painted it. Don't paint it if, you know, they're pretty much, you paint it, you bought it type thing. And I'm going, uh-uh, I got a contract here. It says, it says otherwise. And so I've had to actually argue that with them. All right, anything else? Payment clauses, we're into that. Uh, payments made twice a month progressive, so that's a long job. Um, that might be an HOA job that's going for months and months. Um, we got the recovery. You should always have something like this, the MTS painting, shall entitled to recover its cost of collections. That's a very small clause for what I'm saying there. You could have that a lot bigger, and your attorney would probably make you put a lot more in there. I try to keep that part short. Um, you gotta remember what kind of painting I'm doing. We're more of a handshake company, okay? Um, I come across that way. It's the type of work we're doing because I'm working with the owner. I can do more of a handshake. Now, I don't do that with a $200,000 HOA project. It's all going to be in writing, that type thing. Or if, you know, I do get into GC work in the thick or the Jones Lang LaSalle management company, their contract's going to be thick. In fact, I got to get to that. There's some good stories in there. Uh, I used to do it, this is pretty rare finding it today. The last sentence here, beginning 2000, whoa, look how old that is, 2011. Uh, inflation percentage, 4% would be added every subsequent year. I used to get HOAs that would paint 10 units per, per year. But how do you write a contract? The price is going to go up, right? Who's taking the risk for that dollars going up? If you have a contract that goes, a long contract, who's taking the risk of the cost of living increases, right? Not just materials, your labor. We know it in this market right now. Our labor's going up, ain't it? So who, you, if you write too long of a contract and your labor's going up there, you want to have a clause to, get, you know, to be able to cover that. So if you're writing a two-year contract somehow, who's going to take the risk of the increase? And I argue this with board members all the time. Oh, we want to do it over five period. Can't you write a contract? No, I can't. 
I don't know if the planes are going to fly into buildings and everything's going to jump by 20%, right? And so I say, you guys have to take the risk. You're the owners of these buildings. I, if you want me to take the risk, you're going to have to pay a lot for it because I don't know what's going to happen. Normally, the, home, the owner, if they're a business person, they understand what risk is, right? And so risk is important to our business, but that's a separate, uh, it's a separate class. And then we have an acceptance, right? And so you have a legal schmiegel. Again, the bid number's accepted. I'm not super thrilled with doing it that way. People have a hard time with it. I think I'm going to change it to bids, total of bids accepted. Make them do the math of the total. In other words, if I have six options on there or four options, you know, base bid plus all these other options, make them add up what the total cost is. I've had trouble with this bid numbers accepted. They don't know what to write in there. It's like, didn't you see the options up here? Choose the options and just write in the number. But they have a hard time with it. So I think I'm going to switch that and go to uh, a dollars in there. Initial by, by them. Oh, okay, excellent. Everybody hear that? And if you see thick contracts, and maybe you've done a lease, if you've ever rented, they'll have initials on every page, but in near important paragraphs or near options, we could put a little line for initials, um, and that could uh, denote um, that that's accepted. I like that idea. That's a good idea. All right, let's keep moving here. What do we got? Oh, these are the, just more options that I put in there. Remember I said it's a sales document, these paragraphs at the bottom? Um, sometimes it's the only document I can get to the decision makers. This goes more to HOAs, right? So picture HOAs or, or commercial buildings, right? You got a property manager or a community manager, we call them here for HOAs. So you have a community manager that reports back to a board, right? I don't get to meet the board. There's a board of you know, seven homeowners that sit on there, what have you. They make decisions as a group. Or there might be a building ownership now. And if you're not familiar with them, there's now POAs, property owner associations. In fact, I'm one of them. I bought a building, one building out of four buildings, and we have common property in between our office warehouses. It's called a POA. I pay a maintenance fee every month for the asphalt, for the parking, for the landscaping. So same thing as an HOA. I can't, so this goes to sales, and my contract is sometimes a sales document, also, or it is. And so sometimes I throw these clauses down in the bottom because it's the only way I can get to the board members, right? How are we gonna apply this? You know, we're gonna apply with all this, you know, and then I, you know, HVLP, I blow them away, well, what's that mean? Or electrostatic, they love, homeowners associations love electrostatic. They just love the word. They have no idea what it is. Oh, aren't you gonna put electrostatic paint on there? What's that? What's electrostatic paint? It's either oil-based or it's two-component. It's whatever can hold a charge. That's what electrostatic paint is. There's no such thing as electrostatic paint. And so there's an electrostatic process or spray process, right? And so this is that's what this is. And then it's all about communication down here in this other one. I want to blow them away with our communications. Um, and that's how I can win jobs. Um, MTS's slogan is detailed painting made simple. That's my goal. That's what I go after. We want to make it simple for homeowners to paint their home. We want to make it simple for those community managers to um, have that property painted. And so that's what we're after. So that's more of a sales pitch there. Um, I don't know why I had the options up there, bid number three. Those are just alternatives. Another term for it is alternatives. Um, pricing. 
All right, EPA, you want to be real careful with that. What are you going to put in there if you are doing an RRP job? So EPA, uh, um, renovate, repaint, I forget what it stands for. What does RRP stand for? We say, yeah, you have to be a certified renovator. If you're disturbing lead-based paint, you need to speak to it. There's a lot more things you want to put in there to cover yourself. On you know, are you going to follow it? It's part of it is part of the sales pitch too, right? Because what happens? I don't know about you, but we're in the Wild West. Three quarters of the painters, if not more, are not RRP certified, and they're working on lead-based homes. Now we don't have a ton of them here. We're a newer city. We do have them here. And so I use it, it's partially a sales pitch saying, hey, I bid this right. I'm going to keep your kids safe. I'm going to keep your home safe from lead-based paint dust, right? That type thing. And so there's clauses in there. Um, and so I, let's see, I don't know if I put all of these in here. Oh, that's just what it is. So that's just a reminder if you're stepping into an RRP job. Careful, if you're under contract and you're not certified, that's proof right there for the EPA to charge you up to 40 grand per incident per day, all right? 36,000, 367? 37,500 per day per incident. And so if you're stepping into that, be aware of that, okay? Now I spell out other things that I'm not doing, and I kind of set it up in there. Um, where did I see it? No, maybe I don't have it in there. It's that the testing, Oh, only EAP certified companies and individuals can test for lead-based paint, all right? In other words, I'm not going to give them a lead-based paint report when I'm done, all right? That's not my job. I don't know if you know that about RRP work. You're not there to inspect for lead-based paint for the homeowner. In fact, you are not allowed to give them a report that says where it is and everything else. You're only it's for you. The lead-based paint test is for you. And so I outline, outline that and put that in my exclusions. So just a little bit there. Be careful with that. Your contract's going to look a little different for RRP. Um, and you can use it a lot for a sales pitch So because your con competition might not be including this stuff, right? And so and your price is going to be, what, one-third more at least, at least. Um, all right, contracts supplied by owner or purchasers. So these are the thicker ones. These are some of the other things to watch for in here. Uh, some of the keywords, and we're going to jump into them here. Indemnification, if I can say that right. Uh, what was the other one? You got these waivers. You might have bond requirements in there. Um, there's all kind. Oh, subrogation. <clears throat> Did I say it right? I'm pretty close on that. Um, and so there's some pretty crazy terms that you run into. You want to get these defined. You get into these contracts. That's when you do want to learn some from your attorney on that. Once you take it to your attorney and you start learning this stuff, then you'll start trusting yourself and you can take the risk and not go to the attorney with every contract. Um, did I, oh, wrong way. Um, all right, so here's some of what these mean. I, what do I got, five, ten minutes left, five minutes? Yeah, five minutes. Thank you. So I'm just going to rifle this. Again, if you get into these, you need to learn what these terms are. Here's some definitions on them. Maybe take a picture of it, but I just got these off of Google. Or actually, I pulled it out something that here. To the fullest extent permitted by law. I mean, this is scary language once you get into this fine print, right? And so you need to know what this stuff is, what you're signing. And if you don't like it, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take the risk and still go on with the job, or are you going to do something about it? Now, a lot of times you're going to find out, especially if it's an AIA contract or subcontract, 
um, Architectural Institute of America. Architects, yeah, something like that. AIA contract, PDCA has worked on it for years with them, and so have a whole bunch of other associations to get this thing fairly neutral, all right? So there's these contracts that you'll find out in these big jobs, right, Craig? I mean, you guys do it, That's, you're always signing those, aren't you? And so these are contracts that have been dealt with for many, many years. Now, are they perfect? No, asked Craig. They're not perfect. They take a lot of liability and they put it on the subcontractor. There are times when you can change them, all right? So I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, home, but this is stuff, here's the other thing I do with these contracts. I might not necessarily take it to my attorney, although I have in the past and I've learned a lot, and then I have notes on what I'm doing with them. The other person I send them to is my insurance agent. So I send them the whole contract. They know where to look. My insurance agent knows where to look in that thick 16-page contract for the screwy clauses that he's not going to like or that he even recommends for me, hey, watch this one. Okay, so send it to your insurance agent. It's free. Attorneys are $250 an hour. Go to the free ones first. Now, if you're really scared about this job or you're signing a million dollar contract, go to an attorney. You can afford the $1,000 for the attorney for the initial. Thousand? Probably more than that, wouldn't it? Depends on what they find. Right, exactly. You know? They want to take everything out. <laughs> they do, right? Yeah. I just exit out on I'm going to talk about that next. Nine out of 10? Would you say nine out of 10? Don't correct it. Really? And so, yeah, here's an example of that. Uh, so this is Jones Lang LaSalle. Uh, I mean, I'm a little guy. I'm doing $1,000 jobs for him, maybe 10 grand uh, uh, painting on some of the stuff. And, you know, they, and so I put my proposal in and they uh, accept it or they say, okay, it's good, we're going to send uh, the contract to you. Now, this is coming from, this isn't coming from a local person, this is coming from uh, um, Washington, Seattle. <coughs> and so they send me this contract, I read through it, I usually skim through them all. It's actually, this one's only three pages, it's written pretty good, I'm pretty happy with it until I get to this. What do you mean, no leads? That's my only thing I got in between suing them for you know, taking them all the way to court. And little old me is gonna sue JLL, a billion dollar company. I don't know how big are they. You probably do work for them, don't you? They're, they're huge. I mean, this is worldwide corporation with all bigwig lawyers with fancy hats and ties and desks and offices and corner offices. Am I really gonna? I said, no way. What are you doing? So I. Add a couple sentences here. <laughs> or actually, first I crossed it off and sent it to her. She sent it back, she read it. Nine out of 10, she was the one that read it. She says, well, she says, what can we do about this? And I said, well, let's add this. So I wrote the red part and sent it to her. It took three months to get it back to me. Now it was a long-term job and, and we weren't starting for a while. So it was okay. It went all the way up. It went all the way up. My wording came back. They changed one word of little old Randy's writing that he put in this legal document, and they accepted it. Now, every three years, you sign this contract for every three years. The third year, fourth year came around. Same clause in there. They didn't change it throughout the company, so I just took my old language, plugged it right in there, sent it off to the gal. It was a different gal this time. She says, oh, we can't do it. I said, send it up to your lawyers. We did it three years ago. I think they're cool with it. 
She did. Took her over two weeks. She got back to me, sent me a signed contract. Cool. You can change contracts is the point. Cross that off. We never, um, uh, Alan was uh, saying that. Cross them off. Okay, I'm talk about those. You can modify. A couple of stories. I'm running out of time. Sorry about this, but these are good stories. I had one, um, the big stadium right across the way. It used to be called University of Phoenix Stadium, if you remember that, right? It's now State Farm Stadium, where the Arizona Cardinals play. I was doing a bid for, it was actually JLL, and then for the Phoenix, which is actually called Apollo College, is the master um, corporation behind it. And so same clause came up, this lien clause. I sent it to them. It's still JLL. But they were real turkeys about it on it. They wouldn't even send it to the lawyers. They wouldn't even send it back to the contract people. And so they said no. I said, okay, I say no. Oh, you're not going to do it? No, I'm not. Bye. You know. They called me back about a week later. Did you change your mind? No. Why would I change my mind? <laughs> I'm not going to throw away. I'm a little guy. I'm not going against you in a court of law when I don't have my lien um, rights. And so it was interesting. I've had a couple of situations with that. I had one, another one recently, um, Foresight um, um, GC, Foresight, uh, Foresight something. And uh, sends me out to, or no, he sends me a, a little, look like a plan, it looked like a floor plan on a napkin. It looked like a scanned napkin with a floor plan on it. And he says, oh, bid this. And I said, well, can I go out and see it? No, no, we can't get, it's too hard to get you in there. And, okay. All right, what do you want me to touch up? Well, there's only three walls. You just got to touch. Ended up being $1,550. I think I threw the 50 bucks on there at the end because I knew it was going to be a pain in the butt uh, to get through the admin on it. And they send me this 16-page contract that says, per plans inspect and all this other stuff. And I said, dude, send me the plans inspect. Maybe I can sign it. Oh, I sent it to you already. You mean the thing on the napkin is your plans inspect that's all written out in this fancy contract? I said, it's 1,500 bucks, can we modify the contract? I had already modified it and they sent it back. And kicked I said, can't you modify this? No, no, you gotta sign it. The owner of the business says you have to sign it. <laughs> All right, no thanks, go ahead, we'll find somebody else. This is crazy, 1,500 bucks and you're gonna bust my balls with a 16 page contract? I got the, all the clauses in there already to protect our, our, both the parties, you know, minor as they are, it was weird. All right, so one other one, this is our HOA. I don't know if you're aware of it, but um, Sherwin-Williams and Don Edwards and really PPG does it too, and so does Ben Moore. They have specifications written for HOAs. So they go out and court all the community managers and say, hey, we'll get you the spec for painting this property. We'll write the spec. We'll get all the contract, three different, or five or six, or sometimes eight different contractors. We'll do a job walk. They'll all bid it per the spec, and then we'll, they'll all submit, and it'll all be apples to apples. This is the manufacturer goes out and does the sales work and goes out and does the prospecting. And then I'm on that list. Some of us are, you know, we, it's hard to get on that list, but once you get on that list, I get called to these job walks and I can submit a proposal based on their specification. And so their specification has some screwy stuff in it. Really, the Don Edwards one is written for California where you have salt water all over the place. Thank you, John, right? And so it's written, it's got some stuff written in there that really doesn't fit Arizona, but they won't take it out. They have a universal specification. So I have to cross it all off, or I have to highlight it. If I get the job, I say, it's not per spec, you know? And again, back to that dating, it's like plans and spec, you know? Specification data, it's too hard to read it in there, but there's a date in there. Um, and so I, because those things get revised all the time. Um, I don't have time to jump to that. 
that's really the end there. Um, <clears throat> so we have these specifications, so I write it in my contract, but what I write in my contract is what's in the contract prevails over this specification. Does that make sense? Because I don't like the specification, and in my contract, those bullets that I was showing you before will cover what I am covering that's different from the specification. And so that works, and, and so that's a way of doing it. My document prevails. There's fancier language, in fact, that I have, oh yeah, right there I have the language. A Couple of different ways to write it. Um, and so you wanna make sure you have that in there. A Couple of things just to finish up with, uh, if you're not aware of it, we have um, forums um, within the PCA. So this is the AST, which is the residential forum. Great, um, um, I wanna say retreat, conference coming up in Milwaukee, uh, July 24th. This is the commercial forum. Uh, we had a ball up in Sedona here last year, last September. Uh, this one's in September in Quebec. Um, so just a couple other things for you there. If you're interested, uh, jump in and look for those and attend those. Awesome education just like this, if not even better. Thank you very much. Questions, I'll be up here. Sorry, I'm probably running late, but uh, I'll hang out for a few minutes here. And any questions, thank you very much. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.